Hallelujah. You may make your way back to your seats in the presence of our mighty God. Pastor Joe is going to come and preach on Philippians. This is going to be exciting. Paul's letter to the Philippians. So go ahead and give it up for Pastor Joe as he comes. A little bit, a little better than that. Praise the Lord. Give it up for Jesus, the worship team. You guys did amazing. Wow, that was awesome. So good to be back in the presence of the Lord again with you here. I know that the last time I spoke, I spoke at, um, you know, online. And so when we speak online, it's not on fire. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's online, but it's not the front line. Amen. Amen. Come on. So open up your Bibles with me to Philippians chapter 1, verse 1. And uh, unless we get a pianist or someone to replace uh, Lawrence, I just want to speak this word to Lauren. You better be ready, sister. Better be ready to get back on the keys because, um, man, it was powerful worship today. Powerful worship today. And we need to keep that going. We need to keep that going. Libni. Yes. Libni, right? Malia, oh my gosh, not this again, not this. Here I go. I thought I had it. I literally, you look on the line. I went to the Facebook and I said, I'm not going to mix these up to do today. I definitely know Marco and Jorge, okay? Malia and Libni. So Malia is going to need a pianist, okay? And, and I just want to make sure I got all the couples right now because we got to congratulate Oscar and uh, Cielo. So we have Oscar and Cielo. That's an engaged couple that has moved out of dating. Then we have Marco and Maliha, who have been going out second longest out of, the next couple, out of these three couples. And then Jorge and Libni, right? So we have three couples in SUM right now. Am I missing any? I know we have married couples, I know that, but I'm talking dating or engaged. Okay, let's give it up for those six folks. Now, does Cielo normally come here or is she not able to make it? Oh, she is. Okay. Okay, she is here. Awesome. So all six of you guys are here today. I literally want to get a picture with you guys before I go. It's so cute. So cute. There she is. Let's give it up for Cielo. Congratulations. You guys got engaged over the weekend. That's fun. That's exciting. We cannot wait to hear more about it. My wife and I, were so excited about that. And then um, we got you married. You're married to Jackie. And then we have, um, with a baby on the way, and then we have, uh, don't, don't help me here. Let me embarrass myself if I get it wrong. Then Adolfo and Jennifer, couple. Uh, Juan and Yolis, another couple. Vinny and Des, another couple. And then um, Abigail and... Don't say it, don't say it. Let me, oh, I pray for him. Jonathan, no, that's the one that left. <laughs> yeah, those guys, don't, no, no, forget about that. I'm not going to say anything. So Abigail, uh, I want to stay with the J's. Is it a J? Anthony. There it is. I know it's just like, boop, came right up. So we love you guys, all of you, all of you. So we got a lot of couples. So they could be included in this couple, but they're not here. But then we got married couples. So who are still single? Who is still single? Well, Sadia, yeah, we have Sadia. She's married to Michael. She's a single student. Okay, so TJ is single. Who else is single? Is there anybody else? Uh, Jasmine, but Jasmine and uh, I heard it with Will. Jaslyn? Jaslyn. I said Jasmine. Sorry, so Jaslyn and Will. I just keep embarrassing myself here. Okay, so, but he's the only one technically single, right? Because... 
Okay, he's up next. I know, man, God's got a plan for him. We'll just leave it at that. I don't know why it just turned into bridal college here, but that's all right. Sometimes it's going to be bridal college, right? Sometimes it's going to be bridal college. I'm so happy for all this young love, man, because you guys will have the rest of your lives to spend in ministry together, serving God, growing with God together. This is so beautiful, man. I just love love. I love everything about it. And it's okay if, if TJ has the call right now to be the bachelor to the rapture because I want to be honest, that was like me. That was like me. All of my friends were getting married in Bible college, every single one of them, starting to have families and all that. And I went a mighty long way with the Lord before he brought me through. But the Lord will never leave you nor forsake you. He will keep his promises. Amen. You're married to Jesus right now. So get your nice little, like, like fireside set up, you know, in your house or fire, you know. Put on your nice little, like, romantic robe or whatever. And, you know, slurp on your coffee with Jesus or your tea. And just hang out with the Lord and just say, love me, Jesus. Love me, Jesus. Touch me, Jesus, because nobody else will, Lord. So, <laughs> seriously. Seriously, man, my mom used to feel so bad for me because she's like, nobody even touches you. Because I was back in the day, like, I would, like, be, like, far away from women. Like, I, you could see in those pictures, right? Like, they would all be together, and I would be, like, far away standing like this, you know? So, uh, but it's good because the Bible says it's good for a man not to even touch a woman, you know? So until the time comes, it's, it's good to not even touch a woman, amen? And so you all stay holy. You all stay holy, okay? Always make room for Jesus in that relationship. Don't let Jesus be ashamed of anything you do. Okay, now, back to Bible college. Are you guys ready now? We went from bri bridal college to Bible college. Paul's letter to the Philippians. Let's give it up for the book of Philippians. Verse by verse, it's that time of the year. By God's grace, I have at least now seven more going forward, chapels if not more. This is a four-chapter book. I should be able to do it all. We'll see how far we get today. Let's open up to the notes or to the book of Philippians chapter 1. The notes are going to give you guys some goodies. I want to go right into the overview. The author of the book of Philippians is Paul while he's in jail in Rome. So this is known as the jailhouse letters. Jailhouse letters coming from Paul in Rome. Can anybody else think of another jailhouse letter? No, no, that's a good guess because he might have been there writing. That is a good guess. Uh, yes, go ahead. No, that was, uh, that's another good guess because you would think the city names might be jailhouse letters, but that is what we're going to find out is one of his first letters while he was free and clear. Philemon, yes, Philemon, how do you pronounce it? Jailhouse letters, yes. Say it again. No, Revelation is written by John. Glad you're in Bible college. So glad you're in Bible college. Thank you, Lord. Help him. Touch him, Jesus. Anybody else? Ephesians, that's right. And then I believe Colossians. As a matter of fact, I'm going to look it up right now. I know Philemon or Philemon uh, is one. I know I had my other one ready, Ephesians. But let's look it up. I believe Colossians is the other one. Paul's jail, jailhouse letters. It's like, Pastor, you don't know everything before you come talk to us? No, I'm sorry. I don't know everything. Okay, jail, oh, I should say prison letters. Let's put in prison letters. There's pastoral letters, and then there's prison letters, and then there's like what they call like general epistles. Okay, what are his prison letters? Ephesians, yes, Colossians. So Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and um, now I'm wanting to say it your way. Yeah, you're going to say Philemon, but I'm going to say Phile uh, 
Philemon. That's how I've been saying it, but you'll notice that different people pronounce it. Okay, uh, he wrote it. Okay, who's the audience? The saints at Philippi, and that's how we know uh, these books were named after their cities. So Philippians after Philippi, it's a prosperous Roman colony. The date is somewhere around 61 or 62 A.D., he dies a few years later being beheaded under Rome. He's going to be talking about his imprisonment and suffering now. And so you'll be able to attach that to his life. He will get released just for a little bit, but then he'll get captured again and then get um, beheaded by Nero in around 65 AD. The theme, the whole theme of the book is Paul wrote to encourage the Christians at Philippi to live joyfully in every circumstance. So it's a very uh, encouraging letter. There is a little bit of correction in there, but not so much compared to the other epistles that he's wrote. It's a very encouraging letter, stays very upbeat, and gives us a lot of great theology. The hymn to Christ is here, uh, talking about how he made himself nothing uh, for the sake of going to the cross to the glory of God. It's a very powerful uh, passage of scripture for our Christology, knowing the two natures of Christ, both divine and human. And then lastly, here is the extras. This is what I gave. All of that comes from the NIV study Bible. And then now here's what I give uh, to that. Paul was, uh, went to um, Philippi based on a vision in Acts 16.9, which was known as the Macedonian vision. How many remember that? He has a vision to go to Macedonia, and this is sometimes where I get confused, is that there's regions and then there's cities. Galatia is a region that has city, cities, but it's actually a book written to Galatia. The rest of them are named after cities, Thessalonica, Thessaloniki, depending on how you pronounce it. My Greek family pronounces it Thessaloniki. That's where they're from. Philippi, Ephesus, those are all cities. But what's unique here is that I just learned today, and I probably remembered it or knew it before but forgot, but was reminded of it today, that Philippi is a major city in Macedonia. So when he gets the Macedonian call, the vision to go preach in Macedonia, the main city is Philippi. And he gets that on his second missionary journey. He has three in total. He has one little journey after being released from arrest. But then, like I said, he gets arrested again. So technically, that fourth journey can be considered a missionary journey by some. But for others, it's just a little uh, trip that he takes before his arrest and then his death. So we're, we generally know Paul to have three missionary journeys. This is where he first meets them. He's on his second missionary journey after the Macedonian vision. He's arrested with Silas. Another story from the book of Acts, when they cast the spirit out of a fortune-telling girl who keeps following them. How many remember that story? She keeps following them and proclaiming them to be men of God, but he knows it's a false spirit, so then he casts it out. And then those people who were over that girl, basically trafficking this girl, get upset, and then he gets arrested. And then there's a deliverance that comes in the midnight hour. God's going to turn it around. God's going to work in your favor. I can't remember the last part, but late in the midnight hour, God's going to turn it around. He's going to work in your favor. It's a gospel song. So late in the midnight hour, there's deliverance. And then the Philippian jailer, who you might hear about in the preaching, he then gets saved. His family gets saved because he gets scared because if they go and escape, then he's going to get 
you know, um, executed for possibly being guilty for letting them go. That's what they're going to think about him. And he goes, man, I don't want to get executed. I want to serve the God who just broke open the jail cells for you guys as you were worshiping the Lord. So that's where the famous promise comes from. He, uh, Paul says back to him, you and your household will be saved. Now, that is a specific promise to that person, but we can apply it generally to our lives. So that's uh, what happens in their first missionary journey, and then they boot scoop boogie out of there. And then briefly on their third missionary journey, they come make a visit to Philippi. Paul preaches all night. Any preachers like to preach here? All right, just me. Okay. Anybody else like to preach? It gets quiet up in this Presbyterian Bible college. Man, I'm at Concordia Bible Cemetery Seminary today, huh? That's the Lutheran one by my house. Okay, come on. How many like to preach in here? So Paul preaching and preaching and preaching all night long. Oh, Eutychus, old Eutychus, falls asleep by the window, falls right out, splat, and then he dies. And then Paul, the good preacher that he is, goes and raises him from the dead, slaps him around a little bit. What you doing, Eutychus? You got to get back up in Jesus' name. And then he rolls on out. So that's basically what we know about Paul's experience in Philippi. That's where we get him wanting to write to these folks. He's visited them twice. He's now in jail, and he wants to keep up with them. Let's scroll down and get a timeline of Paul and his epistles. Here you uh, can see Galatians or 1 Thessalonians are thought to be his first ones. People go back and forth on that. I choose to believe Galatians was his first because it makes better sense with the Council of Jerusalem and so forth. Don't have time to get into that. Uh, then you have the letters to the, to the Thessalonians, Corinthians, keep going down, uh, Romans, and then uh, here he gets arrested. So you see in Rome, he writes these letters that we just went over around that same time, 61 to 62, Ephesians, Colossians, Philo no, 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 nobody say anything. Philemon, oh my gosh, brother, I cannot believe, I am like the worst with pronunciation. Nobody say anything. Philemon. No, see, I'm wanting to say Philemon, Philemon, Philemon from what my brother has said, but that is not how I normally would pronounce it. Philemon, Philemon is how I normally would pronounce it. Philemon, but it's so weird. This is where you guys have to pray for me. Not only, it's the weirdest thing. Not only do I have problems remembering names, but I have problems pronouncing words. It has followed me my whole life, and this is what's a little bit scary and a little bit sad, is that Alzheimer's and dementia runs in my family. And it starts early, and it starts in different ways. And so pray for me that I don't lose my mind, because I've watched what happens when people lose their mind. But if you ever see me, and I have lost my mind, and I'm just talking to the wall, and I'm preaching, just point me back in the right direction. As long as I'm not hurting anybody, I'll, just, I'll be just fine. It, it looks like it hurts, but it really doesn't. We just feel bad for them as we watch them go through that. Amen? But it doesn't hurt. Um, they can hurt themselves like my grandma by doing different things, you know, possibly burn down a house or whatever. She put a pumpkin in the, the, the oven thinking she was cooking a turkey, you know, things like that. Can happen, but pray for me because I'm thinking now as I'm getting older, it's not getting better, it's getting worse. I get these, these moments where I just get stuck. So I don't want that to happen to me in my later years, amen? But I'll keep preaching till I lose my mind, amen? I'll, I'll keep going. It doesn't matter. Like I said, just point me in the right direction. So he, he'll get to the point eventually. He might go off a little while, but let him go back. He'll, you know, two hours, he'll be worth it. We can pull out the meat from what he's got to tell us, you know? And then it'll be like the, the story notebook, you know? Like I'll come to, and all of a sudden I'll see TJ in front of me, and he'll say, Pastor, you okay? And I'll be like, yes, I'm good. And then 
then all of a sudden a flashback will come where him and I are preaching together on the streets. And he'll be like, it's good to have you back, Pastor. And I'm like, I'm glad to be back. Have you watered the, you know, the, the roses? And I'll go off somewhere into the crazy world again. And you'll be like, we lost him again. You know? Anyways, just enjoying my time with you guys today. Then we go down to the pastoral epistles. Keep on going down, which we think were written during that time. He got a little bit of freedom. And then his last letter, 2 Timothy, he's arrested again. He's locked up, and he's about ready to die. And so that's why uh, we believe it's right around that time. They're putting it around 67, 65 to 67 is when we think he, he was beheaded by Nero. Okay, scroll down a little bit. Get the understanding here. Just click on that. That way you can see nothing but the picture. Uh, it won't let you click on it? Okay. For whatever reason, it's not letting you do it. Always be familiarized with this when we're learning epistles. I always like to see timelines and journeys just so you guys can see what's going on. So what's cool to notice about this is that Philippi is in this whole area of, um, of the other cities, which, uh, no, excuse me, it's not. I thought it was. I thought, I thought this was Ephesus right here. So he's in the area of, um, I wonder, is Galatia over here too? Where is Galatia at? Yeah, so all of this. Okay, so Philippi seems to be more so on its own over here. And it seems to be where he went when he went in the uh, Berea area. It's, it's closer to Italy. These are um, the cities that were like Roman colonies. These were more of like the, uh, the regions. I don't know if they were technically colonies, but these were more like the Asian areas of Galatia and um, the seven churches actually over here. So I'm just pointing to this and saying a bunch of stuff. Hopefully it makes sense. Uh, just, just know that this is one of my hardest points of, of ministry right here is remembering this. I always forget, and it just reminds me that I need to memorize it again so I can forget it again so I can memorize it again. That's another thing that makes me think like I'm not doing so well because I continually memorize stuff over and over and over again, and then I forget it. And then I'll go back to it, and I'll memorize it. I, I can't tell you how many times I've memorized the 66 books of the Bible, and then I'll forget it, and then I'll memorize it again because I always have, like, this inner fear, like, someone's going to ask me this. Like, do you even know the books of the Bible by heart? Why are you even preaching? So I already have my comeback to that. This is not a, this is not a memorization contest. Let's go back to the Word, you know. So I have my get-out-of-jail-free card on that one, but pray for me familiarize yourselves with this. Don't use my mind as an excuse, and I don't want to use that as an excuse either. But look at it, look at the timeline, understand where it all fits in, and see it as you go through the book of Acts. Uh, another way to read the Bible is the chronological way, and that's really cool, even if you just did it for the book of Acts. If you wanted to read chronologically the book of Acts, what they would do is every time a letter or an epistle was written during a time that's mentioned in the book of Acts, you would stop at that point, read that letter, and then keep going. So you would kind of understand what was circulating at that time while the history is happening. That's really cool. And I like doing that with the Old Testament as well when it was uh, the book of Kings and Chronicles being chronological with the prophets. So you'd see it stop in the, the storytelling and then you would get into all the information that was being released. That's pretty cool. As well as David's Psalms in Samuel, another cool thing. It's kind of to, to read the Bible that way, chronological. Okay, are we ready for the text? This is my strong point. Ready for that? All right, let's go. Oh, one more thing of history here. One more cool thing. Just got it from a study Bible as well. This is what they say it looked like. You can scroll up a little bit. Um, 
don't know much about this, your professors will know a lot more than me, but just look at it and pretend you're learning new things right now. You're scrolling too fast, though. You're scrolling too fast. You're scrolling way too fast. Slow it down. Slow it down. So there's a theater there. Can we just pause here for a minute and look at it? Thank you, sir. A library is there. A forum. Agora is there. The baths are there, which was part of the Roman culture. They used to have that kind of like as their gyms. And as you can see, they lived in blocks. They lived in areas. You know, sometimes I just like wonder to myself, you know, what was it like just being a, a person living right there? You know, what would it have been like? I honestly don't think it would have been much different than just our normal everyday life. I think they got up, they did their thing, their, their thing. They were city folks, so they probably had everything around them. They were not really being agricultural at that point. They might have had farms that they worked or were family members that they interacted with. I'm sure they all knew a farmer. But, like, the people were here were, were probably just buying and selling, doing business, you know. Just everything you can think of now was probably happening there and just in different ways. You know, some were teachers. Some were, you know, accountants taking care of the numbers and the money. Other people were business folks. Uh, there was artists, you know, people living around there. There were people who would perform here in the theater. You know, there was different classes of their society, people in the military. There were, you know, restaurants, people who served food, people who worked in the markets, different things like that, made and sold clothes, clothing industry, services. I'm sure there was people who, you know, repaired things, built things, you know, plumbing, you know, and all of the different uh, systems that they had going on in there. And, you know, sometimes it's good just to think about what it would have been like to live during that time. I always think it's cooler to think about living in a different time because then you get to experience both. But if you're living in a time, it's normal to you. So they would have been thinking the same thing, like, oh, my gosh, what would it be like to fly like a bird? You know, what would it be like to land on the moon? What would it be like to carry in your hand the entire library that we have right here, you know? So for them, that would be cool to come here. But when you're in the time you know, the time you know is all you know. So it's like so normal to you. You don't think of it as being awkward, you know. Just even what I'm looking at here, we're carrying water bottles. In their time, when they were meeting in their Bible studies, so there was probably a pitcher of water. And they probably had their, their clay cups, you know, and they were passing around the cups. But this is what I love about what we do in this church, and for those who are like our church around the world, is that we're very similar, other than just some of the cultural differences, to exactly what it was like to be around then. You know, now if you looked at the Roman Catholic Church or all these churches like that, it would be so different. But really what we just did here, was it any different? I don't think so, honestly. I think like if, you know, you're looking at a home church, let's say the home church is like here, okay? This is probably somebody that, that had some money. Maybe they were a physician. Maybe they were a lawyer. Maybe they were a business person. And so they had this courtyard. You know what I'm saying? Maybe, maybe the rest of us, we would all live in these apartments right here, like these kind of like multifaceted homes right here. But this is where our church is at, is the person, you know, and then TJ would live way over here. <laughs> TJ would be over here. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> TJ over here, where the shady stuff going on way over here. Well, right here, you know, I'm kidding. Where would be the west side over here, you know? The downtown, I know. It's just funny when you think about it in that culture, where was that part of town? You know what I'm saying? You know, where would my boat be? My boat would be somewhere over here. I'd be a fisherman. Okay, but anyways, so, so we're back over here. And don't be offended on behalf of anybody else. I know we're not offended here, but sometimes people get offended on behalf of our jokes here. We're actually not as trigger happy and triggered as you guys are who get offended by We actually believe it's okay to talk about culture and tease each other and those things. And I can, I can take it. Amen. 
Okay, so I would be somewhere, like I said, you know, wherever I'm at. You're over here. Let's just say we're here meeting for church. Well, what's, what's going to be happening in that church in Philippi? What's going to happen? Well, they're going to show up. They're going to greet each other. They had a way of greeting each other, holy kisses. They would actually kiss on the lip or the cheek, even men. This was not a big deal. The lips were not considered that sexual, just a kiss like that. So they would kiss on the lips. They would kiss on the cheek. They would greet each other. They would talk about their day. They would talk about what their life was like all throughout their city, what they were doing, what they were going through, what their children were like. I mean, children have always been children, right? So they're talking about that. Then what happens next? They sit down and they gather for the church service. At that time, what's going to begin to happen? People are going to pray. People are going to prophesy. People are going to have a word of encouragement. They're going to confess their sins to each other. Someone who's an elder or a deacon, as we're about ready to learn, they're going to orchestrate it and make sure that it's being done right as they're being taught by the apostles. Then after that, they're, they're going to go back out to doing what they're doing. And, and as much as they could with the freedom that they had, they're going to go spread their gospel, uh, go spread the gospel in their lives everywhere they go. I mean, this is so beautiful. It has not changed 2,000 years. The church gathering and the church going out and building through the gospel being preached, disciples being made. And you could just think about it. I mean, you know, just think about it in your own world. You know, you're living over here. Your disciples living over there. So you guys meet over there, and you guys have something to drink and eat, and you do your discipleship. I mean, that's what it would have been like, people meeting together, women meeting together, um, you know, and as things got worse, they had to get more secretive. At this time, their biggest persecution is from the Jews. And so this being a, um, a Roman colony, of course, all of it was ruled by Rome, but where Jewish people had more influence, they could persecute them more, and the Jews would always find them. And scroll up a little bit. Do we even see a synagogue here? Okay, now go down. Nothing over there. Yeah, they don't even have a synagogue here, but there had to be one here, I'm sure, and the Jews would probably get all upset with them, and then persecution would happen, but eventually, it would start to happen with the Romans, and then they would start putting them in those theaters, and you even see some of that in the book of Acts. You know, they're brought there. Um, they're actually brought there on the third missionary journey before they come to Philippi, and that was in uh, Ephesus, about everybody getting upset, I believe. Let me just check here real quick. Go back to the notes here. Uh, when was that third missionary journey? Scroll up there, sir. When was it? Acts something, because they came right out of some trouble on that third missionary journey. Acts chapter 20. Let me see what happened in Acts chapter 19. Let's see here. Because they were getting persecuted in a lot of different places. Acts chapter 19. Yeah, in Ephesus, right in Ephesus. Pretty smart that I remembered that, right? Isn't that pretty awesome? I know I'm desperate when I need to compliment myself, but that's pretty cool that I could remember that. Once again, chronological order, geography, names, dates, and places, chapters, verses, doesn't come easy to me. It may come easy to you, but it's good to understand these things so that you can know the historical milieu or the environment of what's going on, and then to put yourself in that place, okay? To think about yourself in that place. Let's go there. Philippians chapter 1, verse 1. You will be one of these three people. Paul and Timothy. Well, it made it technically four. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons. So, let's put ourselves in this place. Are you a Paul or Timothy, a traveling minister, speaking back to the people that you have ministered to? No, that's not us today. But one day you may find yourself in that position. You may have started a church, and now you're going to start another church. 
and the people that you're ministering to uh, are back at that other location, okay? There's, that's what's going on. And the reason why Timothy's with Paul is because he's come to visit him and be with him in Rome while he's in prison. He's not ashamed of his mentor. We're going to find out later on in the book of Philip, um, book of Philip. Philippians, if I was going to say the Philippines, and yesterday was a magician, uh, musician, okay? I, now you guys are going to feel more sorry for me instead of laughing at me, but it's still okay to laugh because you're like, mm, is this him losing his mind right now? Or is it just that he's weird? I don't know. It's not the Philippines, it's Philippians, okay? But uh, Timothy is in uh, Rome with him, and he'll say later on in the book of Philippians, Philippians, yes, because everyone else has denied him. At least a lot of his close friends have. And he says about Timothy, he's being faithful to me as a son is to a father. Such a precious thing to think about as I'm getting into that fatherly age. Now, um, I've kind of did the big brother thing or the brother thing. Now I'm getting to like this side of the room, you know, where I could start to be like your guys' father, you know, and my wife could be like your mother. So I'm 43, do any of you have parents around the age of 43? Okay. A little bit older? What about you, Cielo? How old is your mom and dad? Your mom's 43. There you go. I'm getting to parent age. Okay, cool. And as I develop those relationships with you guys, those are the kind of relationships that you can see there. So you can find yourself there. Uh, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus, saints, you can definitely find yourself there. How many are saints? Amen. Now watch this. Together with the what? overseers and deacons. And we know that the word elder can also be used in place of the word overseer because Titus, when he writes to Titus, he uses those same terms interchangeably, okay? So elder deacon refer to the same, uh, the same uh, excuse me, elder bishop or elder overseer refer to the same position. Eventually, they're going to try to make them bishop, elder, deacon. They're going to try to make a three-tier out of that. But Paul's very clear. As a matter of fact, just swipe over to the Bible. Go to Titus chapter 1 just so you can see how they're interchangeable and that they speak of the same position. One is episkopos, one is presbyterios, and they basically are just speaking about the one who's in charge and the deacon is the servant. When you go to Titus chapter 1, he says, I left you in a Crete to appoint elders, I'll ring, I'll bring the mouse over there, that's going to be Presbyterios, uh, chapter 1, verse 5, yeah, sorry if I didn't say 5, appoint elders, run the mouse over there, please, elders, can you see the word elders, there you go, yep, Presbyterios, everybody know how to read Greek, or is it just Greek to you, you know that little joke, there we go. P, that's a P like for pie, P-R-E-S-B-U-T-E-R-O-S, presbyterios, or presbyterios, something like that, I don't know. But uh, that's the word for elders, everybody see it? Now, he says, uh, you know, appoint elders like I told you, and then he says right here, since an overseer manages his family. Now, put the mouse over there. And see, episkopos, 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 E-P-I-S-K-O-P-O-S, episkopos, 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 there you go. So you see they're used interchangeably. Going back to our notes now, Paul is saying, I'm writing to the overseers and deacons. Do we have any deacons here? Do we have some elders here? Do you see how the church has operated for 2,000 years or should be? 
Do you see a pope? Do you see a priest? Do you see all the other nonsense? Do you see them being called out by the apostle prophet uh, gifts? Do you see that as their titles here? No, it's very simple. He says it in other places that he's an apostle. Here he just mentions that he's a servant of Christ Jesus, okay, as we all should be. He then says that the people he's writing to, including the overseers and deacons, are saints, holy people. They're not ain'ts. They're saints, amen? Why ain't holy, nobody's perfect, all this, that? Well, then you're not who you're supposed to be then. Be who God said you're supposed to be, amen? And you're made that by nature, now learn that by behavior. Once you know who you be, you know what to do, okay? So to all God's saints, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, okay, so here we are, or here are the churches in this location, wherever you're located at listening to this, together with the elders slash bishops and deacons, or we could simply say with the people in charge. That's all those two Greek words really means is the people in charge with those who serve those who are in charge with, along with the people. Deacon is just another form of saying the word servant or waiter, just like it was mentioned here. It's just another way of saying that. So we're all deacons. We're all servants in that sense. But to be appointed to the official role, as it says in 1 Timothy chapter 3, we have to live by these standards. Now, if you notice, nowhere in 1 Timothy chapter 3 does it talk about the fivefold ministry gifts. So everyone can be an elder or deacon, but not everyone's going to be an apostle. Not everyone's going to be a prophet. The gifts are given by the Holy Spirit, and they can even change over time. But but what you can be for the rest of your life is an elder or a deacon. And if you're a deacon and you set your heart on being an overseer, you look to do that one day, then you can do that so it's not excluded from you. So I, I hear a lot of questions come to me from the five-fold ministry class, and they try to make those offices as well. And that's not going to help you out when you look to the Scriptures because you won't see that pattern. Let's just swipe over and just, just help them out. Go to the King James Version up there with the nice little crown. That's I like that. That's actually the new King James, but it's just the same. So go now to 1 Timothy chapter 3, and you'll see the word office is here. And then when we go to 1 Timothy chapter 4, you'll see the word gifts. Okay, so no, 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 stay... Uh, stay up. You're perfect right there. Uh, See, so it says the position. Go to the one right over where it's actually the King James, the translation. Yeah, right there. That should be King James. Is that King James? No, no, no. Go, go over. There it is. It's all the way to the right. It's orange. Perfect. Now put in 1 Timothy 3.1. There we go. The saying is trust. This saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of an overseer. Now go and highlight the word office and right click on it. Go to the word office. Do you know what the word office is spelled? O-F. Is it sticking for you? Okay. Right click. There you go. Now, this is why some translations will have position. Okay. But this, uh, this right here is where we get the word office from is episcopi, which is a form of the word overseer. Okay, so it's similar to the word overseer, but it's being used here as a position. Now just go to the word overseer, and you'll see that that's going to have, um, oh, that's got the same word. Why does it show us the same word there? Go back. Go back one. Let's see. Right there. What is it doing here? Okay, I want to see this now. Go up to guides. I want to see this now. Go up to guides. We're going to use how to do this. Guides up to the top. Way up to that. How about you just bring it over here with the desk? Guys, grab the desk for me real quick. And then he brings that up. Thank you. 
I'm going to get up here. I want to see where that word comes from because it's not showing me the way I want to. It's actually showing us it's the same word, but I don't see how it's going to be used twice. Okay, thank you. Yeah, and you can just hold on to that for right now. Okay, we're going to go to guides. We're going to go to exegetical study. You guys can always use this whenever you see it on the computer for your benefit, okay? So we're going to learn together. Go here. Thank you, sir. We're going to go here, 1 Timothy 3, 1. And you can do this at uh, multiple websites like Blue Letter Bible. You can do it there. I'm just doing it from my program here. Okay, there we go. Enter Bible passage. The Bible passage has been entered. Why is it not coming up? Let's see. It might be taking a second. I don't know why it's not coming up, but I spelled this thing right. Let's go here. Let's go to buy let's go to blue letter. Let's go to blue letter Bible. Blue letter. Okay, so I'll show you guys how to do it for you. First Timothy chapter three, verse one. I should get us there. Okay, now, when you click on it, now you got it like this. Okay. Oh, see, look, it, has, has it says there, the office of a bishop. So in technicality, which this is good, this helps me, that you could be technical and say, whoever desires to be a bishop, let's just see what our NIV says here, like a modern translation, then we'll go to the NIT 1 Timothy chapter 3. This is where you guys get to practice. Yeah. Do you notice here in the NIV, it, leads out, it leaves out the word office or position. It just says whoever wants to be an overseer. And as you go here to the, uh, like the New King James, it's going to keep using that word, like putting a word before bishop. It's going to use position. The MEV, which is from those same manuscripts, is going to use uh, the word office there. Then the, uh, the King James is going to use the word office. But if you go like to more of the modern translation, let's go here. Um, that was the Amplified that I accidentally put up instead of the King James. But if you go to the more modern, oh, it's, not, it's not doing what I need it to do right now. It's sticking. I, I'm going to be surprised if it has any word there. I think it will be more uh, similar to like it is in the NIV. So, that, so what that shows you is that... Traditions can be developed off of translations, and they're not necessarily even in the Scripture. So the argument is always between offices and gifts, and that's in that fivefold ministry class, right? Now, I believe that the offices are elders and deacons, and that does not include the fivefold ministry because that word is used there. Is everybody tracking with me? And the word gifts is used in Ephesians chapter 4, which we'll just get to. But as you notice here in uh, different translations, and this thing is being very naughty for me right now. It's not being cooperative. Yeah, what does it say? Yeah, there you go. If someone desires to be a church leader, it leaves out desires the position of a church leader, the office of a church leader. So the more modern translations are going to avoid the word office altogether. So that hurts my position but it doesn't help their position because in their position, they're still calling something by the word offices. So there's, 
if we're going to get rid of the word office just altogether, which I'm okay with, then we're just looking at two um, positions that have governmental authority and then five gifts that those people have. Does everybody get how I worked around that if we don't stick to a translation? Now, because, and you'll learn this about me as we study more, because I, <clears throat> excuse me, used to be a King James only, as I have now in my later years begun to go back to that in solving my problems. So I believe, as of now, that the ecclesiastical text is more accurate than the um, esoteric, not the esoteric, but the, uh, no, 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 don't say it, the ecclesiastical eclectic. The eclectic text is what most modern translations are based off of, which is taking a little bit here, a little bit there, and adding it together. And they'll say, you know, most of the earliest manuscripts contain this, and, and they're in pieces, and they put it together. That's why it's called eclectic. But I am what is known as an ecclesiastical guy. Even though my text that, that the King James comes from, the Textus Receptus and others like it, even though my texts are not as old as some of these pieces of the new versions, they are more complete, more complete, and have been more used by the church. Does everybody understand that? So there are two different kinds of major schools of theory of where our texts come from. The church, ecclesiastical, or through eclectic, us finding them on our own through what we would call like um, archaeology. Okay, now you can still find the ecclesiastical text through archaeology, but they've been pretty much preserved since Codex Sinaiticus, okay, since around that time, uh, uh, excuse me, uh, since around the time of um, the Latin Vulgate and then the different codexes that came after that. The earliest one that the eclectics have is Codex uh, Viticanus and Codex Sinaiticus. Let me just see here. Earliest... Codex of the ecclesiastical, ecclesiastical text. I believe it's the Latin Vulgate made by Jerome. Yes, Vaticanus and Sinaiticus are considered the eclectic text, and that's the earliest that they have, and that's mid-fourth century. And the ecclesiastical, ecclesiastical text... Okay, um, yeah, let's see, when was the Latin, what makes it difficult for my position, Latin Vulgate, okay, Latin Vulgate comes around the 4th century, and it's complete, but it's not in the original language, and the Sinaiticus and Viticanus are in the original language around that same time, but they're not complete, but they're in the original language. Are you guys tracking with me? So the, uh, um, uh, the, the people who believe, let's just say, um, let's say older is better and church versions are better. So, well, no, let's stick with the term so you guys can follow along. Ecclesiastical, what we mean by that is what the church used, Okay. When we say eclectic, it's what we've put together now. So, for example, as we keep finding more manuscripts, we keep putting together more versions that reflect that. 
So now if you look at the NET uh, done by Daniel Wallace, which is like one of the earliest, I mean, excuse me, one of the, um, the most modern version that has the most oldest manuscripts. Do we have a whiteboard? Okay. This is where it gets a little bit confusing. Somebody give me a piece of paper, please, with a pencil. And then let's buy another whiteboard so it can be here. Yeah, let's buy another whiteboard. I want one. Otherwise, you know what? I'll just bring my computer next time. We'll just do that. But let me see the piece of paper, please. Let me help you out here. Okay. Can you get that microphone stand for me so I can set it down here? Let's do a little textical, text, textual criticism. Are you guys ready for that? Okay, let's do a little bit of that right here so you guys can understand some goodies. And then move that mic out so I can put this one in here. pastor comes, a little bit different, because you guys get to see me preach on, on Mon- uh, Sundays, you know, so let, let's do Mondays a little bit different. Okay, so when you look at the eclectic text, and let's go here, and let's just write it, write it out so you can see it, eclectic versus ecclesiastical, just so you can see it. Eclectic text. Let me see if I put that in there. There we go. Okay. Okay, let's go here. See if we can get a little something, something. No, none of this is helping me. Eclectic text versus. See, trying to see like um, versus ecclesiastical text. I'm not getting a picture here. I wanted you to have like an like an either or. Okay, there's a picture. We'll just look at it, but it means absolutely nothing. I thought they would have it on two sides here. Let's go around. Let me do this. Okay. See if this is going to help us out. Okay, is this? Uh, yeah, this might help us out. I didn't have. To, I'm doing it kind of on the fly here. Do anything. Okay, this is basically. Yeah, this is good. This is good. So you got something to look at while I'm kind of rambling on here. So there's a third position, which means King James only or Texas Receptus only, but. But I'm not that, and there's no point in really discussing that because that's a silly position. That's another discussion. Okay, now, reasoned eclecticism or the critical text theory means, and we'll just, we'll just uh, abbreviate that, E-C-L, like this, okay? What they are believing is that the older a text is found, the older it is, and, and the more that it is complete at an earlier date. So we have pieces the size of a credit card and in the eclectic text, and then we have the Codex, which means Big Book, Viticanus, which is how they named it, and Big Book, Codex, Sinaiticus, okay? So in their favor is they have older, original language, big books, and small pieces. Does everybody get that? And as they are making their modern translation, 
they keep finding more of these. Sometimes they find them in burial grounds. Sometimes they find them in old libraries. And then they say, this variant, this reading is more ancient, is more older. Does everybody get that? If we ever found a big codex, it would be awesome, but we pretty much are stuck with the major two ones we have around the 4th century, Viticanus and Sinaiticus, okay? That is the eclectic. It's picking up the pieces from the earliest dates, putting it together. So when I was talking about the NET, the NET has a reading that has never existed before because it is a compilation of all of these texts, right? The other position which is called the majority text position or the ecclesiastical, which we'll say is ECC, means it is not as important how old it is, but how complete it is and how widely circulated it is. So we have around the 4th century, the 300s, the Latin Vulgate, as it reads today, in the King James, almost identical. Are you with me? Where these are just pieces brought together. Our Latin Vulgate, we don't have the you know, um, intact Greek manuscripts in whole from the Latin Vulgate. But it was used widely as its readings may differ with the Vaticanus and the... Um, and the uh, the Sinaiticus, okay? Now, this is, this is important when you're talking about entire passages like John chapter 8 of the woman caught in adultery, where we'll say some of the earliest versions don't have that. Are you with me? See, it's important to know that, isn't it? Is John, is, is the woman caught in adultery in the Latin Vulgate? Is the woman caught in the Latin, uh, is this, is she in the Latin Vulgate? Yes, the Latin Vulgate includes the adultery episode, right? Are you guys tracking with me? Okay, now, does the Latin Vulgate have the longer ending of Mark? Watch, Mark 16, longer ending of Mark. Let's see. But Jerome knew the longer any since he incorporated it into his Vulgate. Now, what is my point there? I take that bigger text than the smaller text, even though it's older and in a different language than the earlier ones, because this is the text that God used in his church for the entire time up until the 1800s when they started taking on the eclectic approach. The King James translators, which is the most popular version of the Bible, based it off of like the Latin Vulgate and the manuscripts of that tradition that had the readings that were found in the Latin Vulgate. Is everybody tracking with me? Okay, now going back to our discussion here over offices and gifts. If we want to be exact to the Greek, it should read like the modern translation, okay? It should read, if anyone aspires to be an overseer. Shouldn't even have the word office there. But the King James, who used the majority text, added those English words to get across a certain point. Now, at this juncture, you have to decide 
do you like how the majority text, the ecclesiastical folks, the most read version of the Bible for all of church history, for English people especially, gave us that word before the word, added office before overseer, or do you want to stick precisely to the exact wording where it would only have the word position, okay? Where it would only have the word position. Oh, excuse me, not position, just the word elder or overseer, whoever desires to be an overseer. Now, sometimes people go, well, I want to be the most exact. But when we go to different languages, sometimes the scholars find other words to add in or take away to make it more precise to the exact meaning. So I prefer those extra words of the King James or how they translate because I think that settles issues for me easier. Now, can I prove one or the other? No. Do I have a problem if you just want to take the word overseer? No, no problem. But here's the thing. If you deny the word office there, so you're in an argument. You try to settle on what you can, um, you know, what you say for the sake of debate, what we both can agree on. If I'm arguing with somebody over offices and gifts and somebody goes, well, you know that the word office is not even in the original Greek. It was added in by the King James translators. I go, fine, I'll drop the word office. Will you drop it too? So now I have two positions in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and five gifts of Ephesians chapter 4. So now instead of arguing from the position of offices, I'm just arguing from the position of leadership roles. Because in Ephesians chapter 4, Show me where any leadership um, qualifications are needed to do these things. It says he gave, right? He gave. It doesn't say they had integrity. It doesn't say they, um, they were the husband of but one wife. They, didn't, they weren't drunkards. It was just he gave. So now we have a differentiation, even if we don't use the word office, but that's why I go back to the King James and prefer it, because I think adding the word office there shows us it's an actual position. Even though the exact wording in the Greek may not call for it, I think it's helpful in translating, and I think God uses translators, and it gets into another question, does God inspire translators, which I don't think he does. I just think he inspired the authors. But as I showed you just right here, even if I'm not using the word office, even if I'm not using the word office, I can show just the difference. Can I not? I can show the difference between what's going on in 1 Timothy 3 and what's going on in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 and onward. What is the difference? In 1 Timothy, we are told that you must be these things for this task. You must be what? Above reproach, faithful to your wife, et cetera, et cetera. And we go down and we see the same thing for deacons. Verse 11 of chapter 3 of 1 Timothy. Or excuse me, um, that's where it talks about the women, but in verse 8. In the same way, deacons. And now it lists off all those things. So once again, the question would be, if we're dropping the word office for the sake of being precise, tell me what someone has to do to be an apostle. Tell me, what, tell me what someone has to do to be a prophet, biblically, because we're being precise now, right? We're dropping even words that are not exactly in the Greek. Okay, be precise. How do I appoint an apostle? How do I appoint a prophet? How do I appoint an evangelist? How do I even know one's ready? How do I know one's ready to be a pastor? How do I know one's ready to be a teacher? These are simply gifts. My son is given the gift 
of being in my house. He bears that name. That's a gift. But that doesn't mean he's ready to receive an inheritance or all the things that come along with being my son. What must he do to drive my car? What must he do to, you know, to have the keys to the house? What must he do, etc.? So I prefer using the word office and the word gift because that helps me differentiate. And now you know why. Because when I come to textual difficulties, and I said all of that to say this, when it comes to textual difficulties, I go back to the ecclesiastical text as translated by the King James and those in that tradition. So even though, even though it's not KJV only, it's strong in that tradition. Because remember, the MEV... See, here's the New King James, position, the MEV, which is a modern English version based off the King James, if you can see it up there. It's based off the same text, right? The Old Testament of the Masoretic text and the Texas Receptus of the New Testament text, and they use the word office. So that way, you guys can have a clear understanding in the discussion here. We're just at verse 1. Are you guys ready for the next half hour? What time do you guys got to go, right? Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all God's holy people, saints, in Christ Jesus. See, now here's, here's where I like King James having less words, right? In English, two words, holy people. I like the word saints. Some people like the word holy people better because then in their mind, they're differentiating between people who have departed and gone to heaven. But I actually like the one word saint, hagios in the Greek, because it is the same word used when we think of people in heaven. So there are saints on earth and there are saints in heaven. Okay? Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all God's people, in, uh, to God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi. The term in Christ Jesus is one of Paul's famous sayings that he says continually, this is a relational term that we are now incorporated into Christ spiritually by the Holy Spirit. And you can understand the in him revelation in the book of Ephesians. Together, with the overseers and deacons. You'll never see him address and the apostles and the prophets and the evangelists and the teachers. And some denominations try to do away with the other gifts and try to say that only, uh, you know, evangelists, pastors, and teachers are around for today. Even the Assemblies of God has an article that says we're very leery in their positions of apostles and prophets. Well, where in the world do you get the permission to make a distinction right here? You don't get a, the comma or the phrase keeps going. The Greek doesn't have the comma, but obviously you understand what I mean. There's no distinction here. They should all be present. But what they are are gifts. So the way I like to look at it is when you're incorporated in Christ, when you're brought into the body of Christ, you're given gifts. You're given all kinds of gifts, and we can talk about that later. And as you learn and mature, you'll realize what gifts you've been given. Like Paul said, with the laying on of hands, Timothy received gifts. And you can receive gifts as you go throughout your Christian walk. But just because you have these gifts doesn't mean you have these positions in the church to use these gifts because your character must match your charisma, your gifts. Because if you don't have character, your gifts, your charisma, we'll use the Greek word, your charisma will bring you places where your character cannot keep you. And charisma, we think, is like personality. No, the literal Greek word charisma is gifts. Now, the word gift in here in Ephesians is another word for gift, but it's also used of these uh, gifts in other places with the actual word charisma, like in uh, Corinthians. So I, I just stick with that. 
Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is Paul's standard greeting, grace and peace. Muslims normally say peace, assalamu alaikum, Jews say shalom alaikum, uh, but we add grace. The Christian greeting has an extra word. We don't just say peace unto you, we say grace. You won't really see the salutation, which is goodbye, or the greeting of uh, 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 God bless you. We like to say that, and there's nothing wrong with that, but to be more precise to the New Testament, as we greet each other and as we say goodbye to each other, grace and peace would be the way of doing that. Now, you notice here these two terms or uh, descriptions are used before the names of the triune persons. Father is a name. Sometimes people try to confuse you and say, Father is not a name, it's a title. So they'll say, your title is Father, what's your name? My name is Joe. No, but for God the Father, the Father is his name. Same thing with the Holy Spirit. So they'll say, you're a spirit and you're holy, but what's your name? And so people will try to get into these name cults. Don't fall for that. The Father's name is the Father. That's how he's known. Jesus is known as well by that name, but the Son or the Word. He had multiple names before his incarnation and, and now has Jesus. And the Holy Spirit is like the Father has the Holy Spirit. But they all, as three persons having their individual names, share the one name of God. Because there's only one God. Hero Israel, the Lord that God is one. But now notice how Paul does this. Paul takes the Jewish Shema, which is their like most famous verse, Deuteronomy 6, 4, and he divides it into two parts. Deuteronomy 6, 4. Okay. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God. Does everybody see that? The Lord is one. Now, what's amazing about this is how many times do you see collectively the word Lord and the word God together in that verse. How many times? Count. Let's count together. Lord, God, Lord. There, we believe, is a, a, a way of understanding the Trinity, that this is a three-revelation, threefold revelation of God's nature. Most Jews are only walking away going, the Lord is one. Ahad, but they're not understanding the revelation that was given from the very beginning about Ahad, that God will make them in his image, and the two shall become what? Adam and Eve, and the two shall become what? Come on, the two shall become what? Say it like you know it. The two shall become one. It says right here, it says, uh, be united to his wife, and they shall become one what? Flesh. Flesh. Now notice that word, one there. Ahad. How do two become one? So when they say Deuteronomy chapter 6 verse 4 is anti-Trinitarian because it says one, ahad, we say no, one, ahad, can mean one in complex unity. There is one country with many states unified. Do you understand? There's one country, United States of America, but they are states unified in one country. One does not have to mean solitary one as an individual one. What one there means 
and it applies to the nature of God as it does in relationship to marriage. That's why how we are in father, son, uh, father, wife, child is how God is with father, son, spirit. Never give the feminine to the, the Holy Spirit as a mother, though. But as we see that we can have a multi-person family unit be one family, God in creation as he displays his image can have multi-persons being one divine being. Okay? Now, why is this important? Because now Paul takes those two terms, Lord and God, and applies them to each person. Instead of just God being the Father and the Father being Lord, now God is our Father with that term. Now this is written in Greek, but you know he's a Hebraic thinker. He is saying, God, I'm going to give that to you as Father, and then Lord, I'm giving that to you as Jesus. And then sometimes people now try to say, well, Jesus uh, being Lord there is like landlord. No, that is in the Jewish context of Lord. And that's why when we go to Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and onwards, what do we see? Whoever confesses with their mouth that Jesus is Lord shall be saved. Jesus is my boss kind of Lord? No, because he goes right on down and he says, for whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Where does that come from? Joel chapter 2, verse 13. What is the word Lord there in the Hebrew? Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Uh, Joel chapter 2, verse 32, rather. Whoever calls upon the name of what? Lord. Lord. But what is that in the Hebrew? Yahweh. Yahweh. So when you go to Romans, whoever calls on the name of, whoever confesses that Jesus is Lord, In the context of Joel chapter 2, verse 32, calling on the name of the Lord, who are we supposed to confess Jesus as? Jesus is Yahweh. Yahweh. So when Paul is writing, God is our Father, he is saying that Jesus is our Yahweh. So this is the trick that you can do with the Jehovah Witness because they'll try to say, why does he always call Jesus Lord but God the Father? See, there's only one God. We'll teach them the Ahad thing. They'll be too dense to understand that. So then you have to help, help them even more. Say, then, then say it like this to them. Well, every time you see the word Lord in the Greek, kyrios, when it applies to the Father, you put it as Yahweh. Why don't you change the word Lord there, same Greek word kyrios, and change it to Yahweh now in front of Lord Jesus? They're picking and choosing. And you'll never see kyrios, Father. Our Lord, Father. So show me directly the statement, like he's called God, if you're wanting to make that now only the Father is God, and that means that the Lord is something less than Yahweh, something less than God, then show me where Paul says, the Lord, our Father. He uses that term, the Lord, our Father. And they're the ones who like the term Lord, right, Yahweh. They'll translate it from the Greek into the English. They have no permission to do that. They'll do that all throughout the text to try to bring in the tetragrammaton, the name of God is Yahweh, and that that uh, four-letter way of of writing his name. This is called the tetragrammaton, Yohevahe, right here in the Hebrew. It's a name with four letters. Okay, so what do we show them? We show them that, yes, the the Father is Lord, but Paul in him dissecting the Shema to show us two persons chooses to use the title God for the name of the Father to attribute divinity to him, 
and then use the title or the divine name from the Old Testament to the name of the Son to attribute divinity to him. And then if they go, well, how can there be two Yahwehs or two things? We say, no, 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 there's only one Yahweh. There's only one Yahweh, but that Yahweh name can be applied to both the Father and the Son, just like we can say there's only one God, but the term can be applied to the Father and the Son. Is everybody with me? But then we'll show them very easily in the, um, in the Old Testament where two Yahwehs are talking to each other. The word Yahweh, Yahweh is talking to himself. So they have a problem if they don't recognize the two persons being Yahweh because now we have two gods being Yahweh. Is everybody listening to me? Okay, here we go. And this was used by the early church fathers. Okay, let's go right up here. It's right at the beginning of the fire coming down. Uh, Lot looked back. And the Lord said to, the Lord on earth said to the Lord in heaven. Here we go. Verse 23, chapter 19, verse 23. Then the Lord, uh, verse 24 rather, then the Lord rained down burning sulfur on Sodom and Gomorrah from the Lord out of the heavens. And it doesn't help you when you go to the original Hebrew. Look at Yahweh. What is it for here? Yahweh. So literally speaking, it says, then the Yahweh rain down, or just Yahweh rain down burning sulfur on Sodom and Gomorrah from Yahweh out of the heavens. Go back to Paul's usage here. God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Could he say God our Father and God Jesus Christ? Could he say the Lord our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ? Absolutely. Because the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Everybody see that? Isn't that beautiful? Paul and Timothy, together in Rome, Timothy, the spiritual son of Paul, they're in Rome. They are servants of Christ. They're writing to the saints that are in a relationship and in a spiritual union with Christ Jesus at that particular city, Philippi, together with the leaders in their positions of overseers slash elders and deacons. And he says, grace, forgiveness, peace, tranquility be to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And just as another evidence that this is giving divinity to Christ, when would you ever say grace and peace to you from God our Father and the angel Michael? Does the angel Michael mediate the grace and peace from God the Father? No, so how can you give any angelic being the mediatory principles of only what the divine person can do in our scriptures? Only God does these things, only God. Only God. And so that's where we got to today. A lot of deep stuff. Amen? Well, you know, the Bible says that we don't just um, preach with words. We preach with demonstration of the Holy Spirit. But the Bible also says, Paul said, but we do have a word of wisdom for the mature. For the mature. And that we, uh, in Hebrews, which I also believe is written by Paul, at least spoken by him, maybe written down by an associate. That's why it might be a little different. Uh, it might be an associate that he had not used in his other epistles. But also in Hebrews, it says, let us get away from, or uh, let us move on from, not get away from, but move on from the elementary teachings and go to the deeper teachings. So today in review, uh, let's just think about some of the things that you learned. What you learned is that 
Paul is writing a letter to the people of, of this city that it, it comes from great persecution, that he himself is suffering even to that moment, you know, and that he's wanting them to know about their great relationship they have with God to be encouraged during their times of suffering as well. You've also learned a little bit about how to understand where your Bible comes from in different texts and different terms. And so to, you know, to really open your mind up to these subjects, go back and study on your own. Remember those terms. Think about it. We all have to take a position of where we're going to settle our uh, manuscript differences. Even in every other religion, they have to do that. No one has their books written on golden tablets or anything. Even the Muslims, they'll try to say, we're the only ones, but all you have to do is study Islam, and then you'll flip it right back on them. I know in, in a lot of different ways how to blow them up and say, we're all in the same position. Let's stop using that as an argument. Uh, the, the better point is which one is more well-preserved and which one can we find the teachings of God in. And I believe the Scripture is the only one that's well-preserved. Because of the manuscript evidence, we have so many choices. Uh, and that's where the scholars are arguing over, you know, which, which way is it going to be best? And so for me, because it's not my calling to get into it beyond where I have to this point, I settle generally with those majority texts, with the King James, and those like that, those like that. Also today, you've been encouraged to think about those positions in regards to the gifts. And God has given you gifts. And so you don't have to worry about whether or not you have gifts. You've been called. You've been gifted by the Lord. Discover those gifts. Maybe some will be given to you by the laying on of hands, which will be precious, and you'll remember those experiences. But the gifts that you already know you have, put them to work and desire those offices. Desire those offices. And then when it comes to the nature of our God, you know, don't be confused when Paul is using those different titles for the names of the triune the triune God, the persons of the Trinity, embrace those and accept them and begin to learn the relationship that you can have with the Trinity. Learn the relationship that you can have. The reason why I believe that he chooses the word Lord for Jesus as opposed to just the word God, which he does call Jesus God as well. He does call Jesus God. But uh, he does here in Philippians. God was, um, or excuse me, uh, he being in the very nature of God took on the nature of a man. So if, if he took on the nature of a man, if he was very much the nature of a man, then he had to be the nature of God because it's using the same exact words, okay? And that's why we know the two natures of Jesus. But um, the reason why I think he chooses the word Lord is because the Lord, as he reveals his name to Moses to be that, that's where he gives that name, I am that I am, is the one that meets with everyone. He's the one meeting with Abraham. The Lord appeared to Abraham in Genesis 18. And uh, the Lord appeared to Moses in a burning bush, etc. It, it looked like it was just an angel, but then this messenger, you got to always remember, when you hear the angel of the Lord, most of the time it's referring to Yahweh. It's just angel in the Hebrew just means messenger. So the one bringing the message is Jesus, and he's the pre-incarnate Jesus known as Yahweh. Um, that is a personal name, and it's used in the visitation passages. And so I think it's very important that we see that that's who our Lord, that's, how, that's who Jesus is. Jesus is our great I am. Jesus is our ever-present God. He's the one that's always been there with us. He's not a mysterious uh, person that we don't know. That's why when he says to the Jewish people, he says, you want to kill me. But your father, if Abraham was your father, you wouldn't want to kill me because I was with Abraham and he didn't want to kill me. And then they say, how can you being less than 50 have been around in the time of Abraham? And then he says, before Abraham was, ego am I. 
I am that I am. He refers in Greek the best way to go to that Hebrew word. He says, I am. Ego am I. Before Abraham was, I am. So that's why I believe Paul, another example, because he, you know, you got to remember the Gospels are just being written at this time. And Luke, his traveling companion, just putting it together. And it might have came around the same time he's in jail. So most of his letters are coming out probably before Paul has a, an official document called a Gospel. He's going on his revelation, but yet doesn't it match so much with what the Gospel writers write? That John said, Jesus said, before Abraham was, I am. That's John using the ego of mine. Yet when Paul is writing, he's always attributing the Lord Jesus. And as we're going to see in Philippians 2, to confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. What's the big revelation? Jesus is our master. Jesus is an exalted angel. There's no revelation in that. The revelation of that is that Jesus is Yahweh. To the glory of God the Father, who is also our Yahweh. And you'll see that the Holy Spirit is also Yahweh in, in uh, Corinthians. You know, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom, you know. And that He is of Yahweh. He comes from Yahweh. It's beautiful, okay. And then we realize there's not three Yahwehs. It's one name of the Father, Son, and Spirit. Those Persons who have their own individual names share the name of Yahweh, share the name of God, share the name of the great I am. Amen. And so I believe you'll, you'll have grace and peace as you understand who God is and as he's working in the world. And it's going to be fun going all through that book. So if you have time, listen to it. I can listen to stuff at double time, 12 minutes regular time, whole book of Philippians, double time, six minutes. Six minutes, double time, whole book of Philippians. Try to listen to it before I come back again. So I'll come back, what date? Like November something? November 9th. So you have a month. Listen to the whole book again. Listen to it. See how he plays off the word God and Lord with Jesus and the Father. And the Holy Spirit's there, peekaboo. He's like, I'm here. He comes around, trust me. But remember, the job of the Holy Spirit is always to reveal who Jesus is. So sometimes people try to use that against us and say the Holy Spirit's not taking front and center. The whole point is he's not going to take front and center. That's the exact thing that we're told he's not going to do is take front and center. What he is going to do is glorify Jesus. That is his role is to glorify Jesus. That's why we embrace being Pentecostals because we know that the Holy Spirit in us is not just to speak in tongues, it's not just to fall down, go boom, have powers. All of that is for the glory of Jesus. And then all that glory that Jesus receives goes to the Father. The Father loves seeing Jesus receive glory. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you for this wonderful time together. Help the book of Philippians to come alive to us. Uh, Lord, forgive me if I misspoke anything or, or was a bit un, unable to bring out all that um, we, we learned today in, a, in a, an organized way. But I pray, Lord, that what is your truth and your word and what was meant to get across will do so today and stick in their hearts and be a good foundation. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Let's